Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Bikes and Big Ideas is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. This past weekend, we may have just wrapped up the most spectacular World Cup downhill series ever. So who better to talk to than our co-host, Claudio Calori, who, in case you have somehow missed this, provides the commentary and play-by-play at all the World Cup DH races. Not only does Claudio give us his on-the-ground perspective for the series' most remarkable moments, but he also helps us put this year's season in proper context. Claudio headed straight to Crested Butte after the amazing World Cup season finale last weekend, and he sat down with me at Blister HQ to recap this incredible World Cup season, discuss whether this was the best World Cup DH series ever, talk about Loic Bruni and Omri Perrin's epic battle, and frame Danny Hart's season. Claudio also offers here his biggest takeaways from the men's and women's seasons. He talks about how the sport has evolved in terms of trails and equipment and talent, and we ask him what, if anything, he thinks could be improved about the World Cup series. And so let's go ahead and get to my World Cup conversation with Claudio. Well, Claudio, welcome to Crested Butte for the first time, and welcome to Blister Headquarters. There's no snow outside. I don't know <laughs> what you're doing with all these skis. <laughs> well, there's snow. You just have to. You gotta. You gotta work for it a little bit to go find it. But uh, okay. we've, we've actually still been. We've actually still been getting some uh, ski time out. But uh, it's mostly bikes right now. Bikes, bikes, and running. So you're you're right about that. Well, listen. Um, it's cool having you here, and certainly great having you here, given like. We are literally right on the heels of the World Cup season. And uh, turns out we had a pretty nice end of the season uh, out there in Snowshoe, West Virginia. Well, not only an end of the season, I'd say the whole whole season was pretty incredible. Um, but yes, it only <laughs> ramped up and every race went crazier and crazier. And um, I think we're excited about every every World Cup season, maybe it's just us forgetting about how crazy the last one was. And then you think this is the most amazing season we've ever had, because I know that we say that almost every year. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I mean, Loic and Amory did put on an absolutely amazing show. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that is what I want to try to do a little bit in this conversation is talk a bit about this season, but then try to do that difficult thing of providing a bit of context to what we just saw. Because there has been, I mean, a number of people, I think quite legitimately are either claiming or are raising the question of like, did we just witness the best World Cup season ever? And uh, you're a guy who's uh, been around, seen a few things, witnessed a few races. So I figured you'd be a good person to have weigh in on this. Which brings me to kind of, you know, one of my first questions is, where does your own knowledge of like the history of DH begin? How far back do you go? 
Well, that goes to 93 when I started racing. I started riding before that, but the first race was 93, but that wasn't even a downhill, that was cross country. And so, and that was at the end of 93. And then the first actual season was a winter season, which was uh, cyclocross racing. Yeah. So um, first couple of years as a junior, I did everything from cyclocross to cross country to track and even road. Um, and only in 95 or so on a training ride, I discovered the BMX track and I did a couple of laps on it with my cross-country bike, and I loved it so much that for the whole rest of the winter, I spent my time on the on the BMX track. So when we went back into the cross-country season, I obviously wasn't very fast on the climbs, but I was <laughs> extremely fast on the downhills. So huh. I thought, well, let's try out a downhill race, and that got me got me fully into it, like nothing else matters yeah yeah <laughs> and uh so then the first real downhill season was 96 97. so who do you first remember watching racing or did you have any favorite racers that you were you just thought these people are amazing or you're like i kind of want to emulate that riding style or something Actually, not that much. Uh, the big names back then, by the way, it was 97 because in 96, it was that transition year where I tried to do both. Huh. But uh, <laughs> that was uh, before me, there were people able to do that racing both cross country and downhill. But at that time, it was already too different. Um, yeah, and then the big names were um, obviously Nico Vuyo. And then the whole California gang with Mike King, Eric Carter, Steve Pete was training out there too. So it was always a big thing to to go to San Diego or, or Los Angeles in, in the winter time and train there with, with everyone there. Brian Lopes, obviously. Um, Dave Cullinan was in the pack there. So it was a really, really good scene. Um, I spent most of my days in California on, on the dirt jump spots that they had, the trails, um, you know, Sheep Hills was the most famous one, but they all, they had all of these amazing spots. And those are also actually the spots that got me into trail building, just digging with the people there. Um, but yeah, today it's racing, not building. <laughs> it's racing, right now it's racing. Um, so yes, it was, those names from the 90s that uh, I was riding with and inspired by, but I didn't have one big idol that I wanted to follow. Okay, so Snowshoe. I have to say, I can't remember the last sporting event that I just was just on the couch watching where I was literally shaking, straight up shaking, like over the last two runs after Omri's run. And I thought, well, that's it. That was amazing. And we're done here. And then we see Loic and now we were building drama and then Danny's, but I guess I'm particularly interested to have you talk a little bit about Omri's run and Danny's run because, and I, you talk about this a lot during broadcasts, like 
It's not about perfection. It's about riding at the limit and these kind of things. But Omri's run just looked so freaking impressive to me. In some ways, I'd say more than Danny's. And I guess, given that uh, we, I think we can call you a professional, talk to me about like, look, when you were witnessing this or seeing this, like you didn't have that impression at all. Omri's was impressive, but in your, through your eyes, what Danny was doing on that track, was that obvious to you at the time? Like that is the run? Um, I think it came down to that one rock section that was called the rock executioner zone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and and there there you could clearly see. No, actually, you couldn't see it at the time. Just said it, and you know what? A really weird thing is when we commentate on a race. You are so focused on that and what you're saying that once you walk out of the commentary box, you have you forget everything. Uh -huh. Like, and so it brings you into really awkward situations because. Literally, you don't know what just happened because you were so so in the zone, yeah. like trying to say the right things on TV. And then once that pressure is off, then you don't remember what happened in the last two years and uh, in the last two <laughs> hours, not years. Yeah. That would be bad. That would be bad. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, it's similar to a racer. A lot of times when you're so in the zone and you do your full run, you kind of don't even remember those last four minutes, what, what happened. So I had really weird situations where I get out of the commentary box and I see, I see a rider and uh, I ask her, hey, how was it? And then she tells me, well, how do you think it was? I crashed, you saw it. I'm like, oh, uh, right. sorry for that. Yeah, but I just didn't have it in my head anymore because once you come out of that fully focused zone, you don't. Yeah. Uh, and that's why right now I'm like, okay, I remember that Danny Hart made up, I think, 1.5 yep. seconds in that one rock section. And yep. that's where he won the race. And that's also where he decided about the overall. Because if he had been in between Amori and Loic, then Amori would have taken the overall. But since he was in front of Amori, then Amori couldn't score enough points. So that means that Loic kept the overall. And, and so uh, I actually don't 100% remember if it was totally obvious. There was a clear, there was a clear bobble and a clear moment, I mean, split second where Omri got, you know, bucked a bit, yeah. but recovered immediately. And I, just the entire rest of that line. And obviously he opened up such a big lead in his run. I just, I saw that and thought no one is touching this. I mean, not Loic. And, and I honestly wasn't even thinking Danny was gonna. But we knew that in that pedal section, um, actually it was at the end of the rock section where Amori lost his pedal. Or That's his, right. That's he right. slipped his pedal and had to get clicked in in the 
exact wrong moment because that's where the sprint started with that long pedal section and we knew that Amory lost some time there mm. and that's also where that's true. then it then got it back yeah by the way going back for a second talking about you know, not remembering these runs right after they happen, that makes total sense to me. It's like your job is to focus entirely, fixate on what is happening right in front of you. Then when that run is done, blank slate, next up, do it again and again and again and again. So I don't, that doesn't actually, I don't find that surprising that you kind of get done having cleaned the slate, you know, a number of times in a row that yeah. you get done and you're like, what, what just, what did I just witness? Talk a little bit about Leger versus Snowshoe. For me, Loic and Omri and Leger was my favorite. That actually, yes, all of the drama of Snowshoe, but those two, their respective runs in Leger to me were just mind blowing. And I actually, this is a really weird thing to say, but Omri and Leger throws this monster rundown where it's not perfect. He's making mistakes, but he is so flat out and committed, gets through that, deservingly wins. But I have to say, I've been talking about that Loix run there where he loses, I think, by two seconds. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen anybody ride a bicycle that good before. Like Loic's run was very fast and also kind of perfect? Well, that's the thing. Like, yes, it was perfect, but, you know, imperfection is faster. <laughs> it's so messed <laughs> like up. Like pushing the limits further to where you make mistakes, but you can recover from them, or where you get a little out of control, that's where you know that you're riding the limit. Yeah. So if both of your wheels are going sideways, like they were for yeah. Amory there, he knows, okay, well, that is the limit and I've found it right there now. I just need to make sure it doesn't go too far over it. So I stay on the bike. But on a World Cup run, if you don't get really, really close to that limit or even slightly over it, you will never win. And, well, the crazy thing is Loic was at a level this year where he could almost ride controlled and be up there, but not when there is um, an Amory yeah. who then just pushes it so much further and goes a little over the limit and keeps it together. I mean, that could go wrong, you know, if you push it too yeah. far and those two wheels drift and you cannot get them back, then you're out. So, and in that case, Loic would win. Um, but if, if you're at that level, and you, we saw it for both of them in Snowshoe then, not going perfectly because they were both pushing it and then those mistakes happened, which in Snowshoe had a bigger consequence than it did in, in Leger because in Leger we had wide open grass yeah. sections where you could just you know, like pin it, pin it, pin it. And if you pin it a little too far, maybe you just go, it puts you out a little wider at the exit of of a turn, which doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world. But if you push it in snowshoe and you get offline, 
you might end up in front of a big boulder. Yeah. Um, so it's a yeah a different thing. So if you're offline in that rock garden in in snowshoe, you might put your front wheel into a big hole that almost spits you over the handlebars, and uh, or it will at least slow you down a lot. While if you're slightly offline in Leger, okay, then you lose maybe a tenth of a second, but maybe not even because the reason for being slightly offline is because you kept your brakes open much more further up. Um, so it's a completely different style of riding. Um, Leger hardly had any rocks. I don't even know if they had a rock at all. <laughs> um, it was super old school. Hmm. Um, I really, really liked that that race because you know, Leger, the, yeah, yeah, with the wide open turns yeah. out in the grass with the high speeds. I I always liked that hmm. that stuff. But I would also totally like to ride the the snowshoe one. It's it it's just a whole different story. Yeah, and I guess talking about this, you know, imperfection can be faster, fair, though, wouldn't we kind of have to say Danny through the rock gardens in snowshoe, probably about as clean and perfect as you could ride that? Yes. I mean, it looked kind of effortless. And I think that's a bit of why from the, you know, idiot's point of view, it wasn't as impressive. He wasn't, he wasn't, monstering his way through this he just was like he just was like oh apparently there's nothing there yeah it's like well unless you've watched everyone else in that section you could say danny hart has a lot more experience than the other two yeah the other two are younger than him um and in that rock garden you did need that experience i'm curious how much time are you spending these days at these World Cup stops talking with the riders. And, you know, so that's question one. And I guess question two is, do you feel like you then are, have a pretty good handle right before the race or coming into the, to the, to the, to finals of like, so-and-so's on it today? Yeah, I try, I try to, to be around. Obviously I have my other stuff going on, yeah. a couple of emails per day. A couple. Um, <laughs> But I mean, it's good to be there early and get the atmosphere, get to see what's going on up there on the track. But also I try not to bother the riders too much um, before the race by constantly going to talk to them. If it's natural, you know, yeah. if we meet on the road or in the paddock, um, I'll talk to them and I ask them how it's going, but I'm not constantly like going after them and, See, hey, what tire are you putting on today? And yeah. how you feeling? How you and feeling? How you feeling? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if it's natural, just as friends, then then yes. Um, and so yes, I do, I do get a good feeling, but those predictions are are impossible. Yeah. Well, this year you could say <laughs> one of the two Frenchies, usually. Yeah. Um, even though Danny was fast in a lot of qualifiers, but then just couldn't get it down at the final run, which is why even for this one, I didn't put him up top. I thought it was going to be one of the other two. Um, but then I think for once 
even though their performance was there, I mean, they were riding super fast, but they both made smaller or bigger mistakes. Um, Loic did made bigger ones. It was kind of for his standards, it was a messy run. Yeah. Um, for Amory, not so much. Yeah. But there yeah. was that one mistake that cost him the win. Yeah. So, and so for once it was the opposite where where Danny put down the solid solid run for the final. But yeah, so good on him. I yeah. mean, it's good to see more winners up there. Yeah. And it's hard to think about framing this fact. And so I like your perspective. I believe Danny was on seven out of eight podiums, but not not getting that that first place. Thinking of that or viewing that as a former racer, what would how would you be inclined to frame that fact? Well, uh, the same topic with Troy Brosnan. Yeah, he's yeah. been on the <laughs> on the podium for years. Yeah, um, it it comes down to that. To, to pushing that limit, you know, obviously all of these riders are incredibly fast, but then uh, how much risk do you want to take at the final and how how are you able to, to handle handle being slightly out of control? And maybe some riders who have had their injury and injuries in the past, they're they cannot go that far out of the comfort zone anymore. I mean, you have to be able to go out of the comfort zone if you want to race World Cups. But at some point, you will just uh, try to win races by not risking it all, by just being 100% accurate. I mean, if you look at Greg Minar, um, he's not going out there and just keeping those brakes open a, a couple of seconds longer than he should be and, and then see what happens. He he just tries to do it with 100% accuracy and he got really close mm -hmm. twice this year. Yeah. Um, but then there was that one guy in front of him who just was ready to, yeah. to keep those brakes uh, open for just a tiny bit longer and take the risk and then managed to keep it together. Um, and that that's a tough one, I would say, a tough one the older you get um, because <laughs> the younger ones, they come and they don't think that much um, and just take those risks. But, I mean, as said, um, Danny 100% deserved that win. He, yeah. was, he was there all season long, won many of the qualifiers, and... Uh, finally took it at the final, which is super cool. True or false? This is the thing you say the most during race commentaries. You're, you constantly are, let's say in the nicest way, encouraging riders to keep the brakes open. Uh -huh. That's what, that's your one thing always, right? I mean, that's your kind of go-to dance move. It's like, guys, <laughs> are you trying to win? Get off the brakes. Is that a fair assessment of your of your guidance and advice? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a real advice. It's more a saying. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, I guess to a certain point you have to if you want to win, but obviously only where it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what are the three most impressive things you witnessed this season on the men's side? On the men's side? Well, we already talked about Leger. Yeah. Amory's run. Yeah. That is one. Is you think that's your number one? Would you call that number one? I would say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that for me stands out. It, whether that is a bigger performance than something else, I don't know. But it's something that I remember and a lot of other people yeah. remember. Um, I mean, Loic surviving that huge crash in Fort William and then ride top 10 the next day and then win again next week, right? He, he won so, the yeah. Leo gang. So that is number two, I'd <laughs> yeah, say. I think you're right. I think you're two for two. And then probably the overall consistency that Loic laid down through the whole season. I mean, both of them did. Amory did too. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been up there. I'll give you I'll give you a different uh, number three option. We'll yeah. see. You might disagree with this. You're the historian. We're calling you the historian. I'm not. I'll go number my number three might be, I think the way that Loic and Omri talked about each other and that battle all season. And maybe this happens more in DH than, and I should be remembering this, but it really seemed very genuine to me. You know, Loic gets his first, you know, overall win. And he just kept saying, like, Omri deserved this as much as me. Mm-hmm. We were both winners. Like, you can't... And it's like the guy who just came in first kept kind of making the case that, like, there were two of us, you know, with this pretty epic battle all season long. We were both yeah. right there. It's Thoughts? I, you're 100% right. That is maybe even even number two and not number one. Huh. I don't uh, know. That crash was pretty wild. So yes, I, yes. But, um, but the fact on how they keep that friendship up, even though they are the biggest competitors on track, is really amazing. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he talked about that after the win is not such a big fact because once you won, it's easy to be the good guy and say, yeah, he would have deserved it just as much as I did. But the fact that how they how they acted together before the race, like they would still hang out together, have fun together. Um, and he even said in, a, in an interview that it kind of sucks that they cannot train together on during practice anymore because it's kind of a conflict of interest (laughs) (laughs) because then one would would show the other one his lines and well no matter how good of friends you are but it's still a world cup race um but then off the track they're they're friends and this is yeah it is really really cool yeah and and i you know i don't know those guys but it just it, it just seemed so genuine. And I, I think I heard Omri say, I just, I loved his post-race kind of takes 
they just seem so genuine and, and honest and it just it makes you really really like the guy I think a lot but I think he said uh, he called Loic his best friend and his best enemy. <laughs> and you could see how devastated he was, mm-hmm. you know, after Danny's run. And it's like, yeah, he should have been. Like that dude biked his brains out this season. And I don't know. I just thought it was an incredible display of competition and of sportsmanship and of friendship. And nobody was easing up on the other because they were friends. I don't know. It, I really thought it was something remarkable. Yeah. I, I can't think of a lot of, not a lot of analogies to that in other sports or disciplines kind of come to mind. Yeah, you hardly ever see that. And yeah. it, it's really, really hard, you know, like, it's hard to keep that separate. So you don't let the competition on track influence your your friendship or like your relation that that's off track it it should be something completely natural but but it's also something natural that it isn't yeah yeah i want to ask about the women's side give me the three biggest takeaways well i mean one of the three not saying it's the biggest one of the three is definitely Miriam and Tane coming back for from injury to world championships and then taking the first two spots. <laughs> um, that is amazing, but maybe not the number one because it was also kind of because Tracy and Maureen were still in the game for the overall at the World Cup and they had a lot more to deal with than the the two uh, coming back riders. You know, the two riders who came back from injury, they had nothing to lose there. They they could just show up and perform. And obviously it's an amazing performance to come back and become world champion. But at the same time, you you know what pressure Tracy Hanna was was on for the whole second half of the season and that she was kind of struggling with that. She really, really wanted to take that overall. And like, if that comes to, becomes too important in your head, then it might mess with your writing. So, which explains a little bit why the two who came back for, from injury, why they were able to just go and win. That's why I'm saying it's one of the three, yep. but not necessarily the biggest moment. Can I ask you a question about Rachel? Sure. Curious how, you know, if if Rachel's not injured, I'm curious kind of your assessment of where we're at on the women's side of things. I mean, there was a, there was a time when Rachel, like nobody was coming close here, right? Yeah. So I don't really want to ask the question because I think it's kind of just unfair to everybody who's out there racing. Like, how different would this season have been if Rachel was competing? So I won't ask that, but I will ask just your assessment in terms of where we're currently sitting on the women's side. If we hopefully have a healthy Rachel back for next season, are you expecting competition to be tighter than it's ever been? Um, How would you size up you know, no, you top. can ask that question because it even 
this year already it would have been tighter than it's ever been because yeah. Rachel was beaten at the first race. True. Um, so it was Tane who took the first one, then it was Rachel who took the second one, and it was uh, Tracy who took the third. And that's where Rachel was still healthy. So it, she, you know, the race, yeah. it was a, a lot different than in the past where been. Rachel was dominating. Um, now there were other women, Tane, Tracy, uh, Rachel, herself and later on Marine who could win races and Miriam if she was healthy yeah. from so there is a field that could battle it out and uh yes the season would have been a different one but not in the sense of Rachel would have just smoked them all so the competition was there and uh, I'm really really looking forward to f to a season where they're all back yeah. it's going to be a good battle next year I know heal up Rachel Heal up. Um, I threw that in, so I messed up where we are in our two or three biggest takeaways. I think we're. I think we'll, we'll call that two. Got a third. Well, Germany is back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nina Hoffman. I hope <laughs> she finds some consistency for next year because she was on on a good roll at at some point of the season was really close in Leger, but then had that amazing run where she lost the shoe. No, that was in, well, North Andorra, where she lost mm -hmm. the shoe, right? Yeah. Well, obviously we need to mention Kabiru. She, yeah. the way she currently rides, she could be dominating yeah. soon. Well, she's definitely gonna be up there with Tane, Rachel, Miriam, Kabiru. Yeah. Yeah. Tangent question, women competing in Red Bull Rampage. You know, Casey Brown was just competing in this Proving Grounds qualifier. We were just talking with uh, Ming Getz here on that couch. And Ming was talking about her interest in competing in Rampage someday. And, and that in her circles and the women she's competing with, there's a number of them who are. And um, so this year, I guess, Red Bull decided to have Casey compete in proving grounds. Um, she had a crash and she wrote really well about kind of what happened in that. But I guess I'm just curious on your take, opening up rampage, letting the women rampage. Yeah. I mean, you know, why would you not? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, at the last, it's their own decision whether they want to ride down this mountain or not. And if, uh, if a woman is confident that she can do it, why would you not let her? Yeah. Um, I'm not that much in the freestyle scene that I could now name five women who are capable of it, but possibly there are. I mean, if you look at social media, the tricks that some women do nowadays, they're absolutely amazing. And Rampage is less about the technical writing and more about your fear of heights. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, if you can deal with the heights, then it is really huge jumps, yes. Yeah. But huge jumps are technically not that um, difficult, but it is difficult to deal with that exposure, exposure. up there. Yeah. That, and that is something I cannot deal with. Um, and But there's many men who can't. and and. There's probably many women who can. So 
Um, I mean, up there, nobody's gonna just turn off their brain and just go for it because the consequences there are way too, too big. Yeah. So you can almost trust that if someone is not a hundred percent confident that he's gonna get down there safely, he's not gonna right off the off the start. So yes, well why not let them try? Agreed. We're in agreement. A couple questions about the World Cup series in general. Would you be in favor of adding more stops? To the World Cup. Yeah. Yes. Hundred percent. How many more would you ideal if you're the new commissioner? <laughs> one, two, three or more? Ten in total would be cool, yeah. I think. I mean, yes, a lot of the teams will say, whoa, we don't have to budget for that. And I know this is an issue. I had a, t a team myself. Yeah. Um, but there will always be a way. Like, you have to figure out somehow. And then, yes, we're now at the end of the season, so it's a bad moment to ask a rider that question because they're all... Fried. <sighs> They're all tired. Yeah. Um, I just think no matter how long or short a season is, you're always tired at the end. That's a, your mental approach. If you know from the start you have to go through 10 races, you wouldn't be tired after the eighth because you clearly have your mindset, I have to go through two more. And the the peak when it all counts is at that last one, um, which was now this weekend in Snowshoe, which is like, is, which is why everyone let out all of their energy in the last two weeks, which was the World Championships and the World Cup Finals. Now, if the World Cup Finals was in three weeks, Mm -hmm. then riders would not yet be that yeah. exhausted it, because they would be still focused. They wouldn't party that much after the world championship because they or after the snowshoe race because they know there's still two more races coming. Um, so I think it is possible to do more races. I mean, if you look at the cross-country racers, they might not have as many World Cups, but they have all sorts of other races yeah. that they go to, uh, including stage races. Um, and they now even continue to go to a test event in Tokyo. Um, so their season is actually a lot longer. Um, it is a different impact on onto your body <laughs> if you race cross country or downhill way different, not even comparable. Um, but still, I'm the cross country racers do more races. And I think we, we could handle more. Maybe a related question. What are your best ideas for improving the World Cup series? And maybe we'll say Maybe number one is let's go to 10 stops. I, I love that. I think that'd be really cool. Um, you got anything else? Well, first of all, I, I must say that I'm, I'm extremely happy with 
with our sport. Mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, and yes, there's always stuff you can improve, but I don't feel the need to constantly change it up in its roots um, because it is an amazing sport and it does evolve. It, it's not that there's nothing new, right? Yeah. So if you look at the jumps we had in snowshoe, how big they were. Hmm. And then you look at wheel sizes now, nowadays riders are riding a bigger front wheel and a smaller rear wheel and, and so on. There's stuff going on without constantly pushing. We yep. need to, we need to change something. Um, because it really is super exciting as it is in its original form. I mean, it hasn't changed that much since the 90s. It's downhill racing, yes, the bikes have evolved. And, but we all agree, we just had an incredibly exciting season. Some of them would call it the most exciting ever. Um, and that's without putting the whole sport upside down every year. That's yeah. by just... Letting it be. Let, yeah, like it is evolving naturally, yeah. Yeah. but we don't need to force it and make, you know, we had it in the 90s or early 2000s where suddenly people thought we need to make the tracks shorter so that the TV cameras can ca cover the whole the whole race from yeah. start to finish. So we had two minutes races and nobody liked it. Everybody hated it. It's simply not downhill. Downhill is longer. Yeah. Um, riders love to have longer tracks. So I'm, I think it's okay to try out things, but not like forcing it to change for certain reasons because downhill is what it is and everybody loves it because it is what it is. I like that answer. Yeah. I mean, you, you're like, the sport is evolving and changing and things are happening. I'm gonna ask you kind of a related question to that in a second, but fair answer. But one thing, if you were like the commissioner, would you say, let's say the one thing I would love to see happen is just extend it to 10? Or you're like, you're, or, or is your position, I'm not pushing for that. I just wouldn't mind if it happened. I wouldn't mind if it happened. Yeah. Um, a bit of a longer season would probably not hurt, but at the same time, I. it's quite comfortable for a rider if, if he now can go into the off season and then start, start preparing again. Yeah. I mean, I would think it would be quite brutal if you had to like a Formula One racer or a MotoGP racer, just go from, I don't know, January to October, mm -hmm. or I don't know when they start. Yeah. Um, but they have a lot longer season and that's, I think there I would think that then the body will take its toll if you have to race downhill 10 months a year. Yeah. Which I guess people who live in the South Hemisphere, Australians and Kiwis, they probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Europeans get, get a bit more of a change than the, the people who, who live in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, well, the Amer Americans obviously do too, with 
having a proper winter and maybe do some skiing and then go back to mountain biking. I mean, even Nino in cross country does a lot of skiing in the winter and just does something completely different before he then focuses on on mountain biking again. Yeah. True or false, tracks are getting steeper and faster than they used to be. False. False. Okay. Question behind that question was, to what extent you think riders are just riding these courses faster than they formerly, and that that's that's your take. Yeah. 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 True or false? Today's riders are better than ever or riding at a higher level than ever? That is a hard hard one to answer. You could you could say that Amory and Loic were at a level this year that no one else was before, but how would we know that Sam Hill wasn't just at that exact same level when he was at his peak or Aaron Gwynn when he was at his peak, or maybe he still is next year. We, yeah. we don't know. Maybe he comes back in an amazing shape next year yeah. and and shows those Frenchies how you know what he's capable of. Mm. Um, what we do know is that jumps that are nowadays just a normal thing and everybody would do it back in the 90s they would they would have been like what like nobody's gonna jump that mm -hmm. and nowadays you do it in the first training run because <laughs> it's just something normal um and also there was the time at the end of my racing career when i had a, a photo shoot with with g atherton and he was i was pretty much at the end of my career and he <laughs> was just where he really, really got going. And that, that photo shoot was in the UK, in Scotland, actually. And they had some huge rock gardens and we had to ride through that. And then, you know, I did my usual thing, just find my line and ride through that rock garden. And he just went back there, accelerated, launched it into that rock garden and <laughs> And I was like, okay, <laughs> well, maybe this is a change of generation here. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to officially announce my retirement. Yeah, <laughs> Thank pretty you, much. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the way how you would go through a rock garden that has changed over time, clearly, but not from one year to the other and not from Aaron Gwynn to to now Loic Bruni, they're still riding at the same level. And so, yes, probably we are at the fastest, not only because of the riders, also because of the bikes. I mean, yeah. what they currently do to their bikes is completely out there mm -hmm. with all their data recording and, and adjusting tiny yeah. little things on the whole bike to make it work properly. And that also shows you that uh, that whole per performance of Loic and Amori this whole season, it was not just them, mm -hmm. it was their whole team. So the whole specialized team, they do a huge effort during the whole um, World Cup week with 
recording the right data, recording the right times, figuring out which line in what section for Loic is the fastest. It doesn't mean that hmm. the same line in one section is the fastest for Loic as it is for Amori. Maybe they write two completely different lines through a section where because Loic just feels better on the other one and he writes that one faster and Amori feels better and writes faster on another one or even the bike performs better on on the other one. And so both of their teams, not only Specialized but also Commonsal, they do all of that work with like being so precise. That is something that... Yeah, only the French do, I think. <laughs> they have always been like that, you know, even in the 90s, they were so extremely professional when it came down to the details. I know that already Nicolas Vuillot would measure or his mechanics would measure the tension of his spokes and make sure that was adjusted correctly. Single biggest thing you're looking forward to about this coming season next year can aaron gwynn make his comeback yeah yeah that's a real good answer yeah because man if he can return that would be amazing well and then another one is can greg minar get another win that would be uh, he was so close yeah. this year yeah two good ones well and maybe a third would be does danny start putting it together you know, in terms of not just landing on a podium, but he sure finished strong. Yeah. If if he's able to keep that going into next year. But it's funny. We started by saying like, you were like, yeah, every year we kind of say this was the best season ever. And yet actually thinking about next season, there are some reasons to think that it actually could be once again. Yes. I mean, the the question is, does a bigger a broader top make it more exciting or less exciting? Huh. Because now we had a clear fight between two guys. Yeah. Even though on a race-to-race -race basis, uh, Troy was always there yeah. too. But then when it came to the overall, it was clear between the two Frenchies. But now, how would it be if suddenly there's Greg and Aaron back in that game on that same level and you see well, a different r winner at every weekend hmm. does that make the season hmm. more or less exciting hmm. i mean how would it be if the final wasn't only gonna be the big showdown for two riders but for four riders yeah i mean that would be something we've not seen in a long time or yeah. ever you uh you know, you did with a lot of pride in your eyes, uh, remind me that you won in uh, the prediction game, right? For <laughs> was, World Cup. Did I have pride? Yeah, a lot that? of pride. I saw no, a lot of, lot of pride. That was sarcasm. That wasn't <laughs> pride. <laughs> uh, are you willing to make a prediction? For All next year. Yeah. Ouch. For the overall. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of smart money here, I think. The safe bet. Well, who's the safe bet? Probably Amory. That's what I would say. Yeah. No disrespect, Loic. <laughs> I don't know, though, because 
Loic got to that point where he can control stuff. Yeah. And where he doesn't necessarily have to push the limits that much. Mm -hmm. Although, yeah, I, if Amory does push it, then... You got to kind of push too. Do you know an interesting fact? If you put down, if you calculate all the race times all together, if, if you add them all together, Amory would have won the overall. He, if you take all ra race times together, he's ahead of, of Loic. Do we know by like roughly how much? Um, like a second or two or five seconds or? I don't know how much it was. It has to do with the, the eighth place in, yep. in uh, Fort William yeah. after, he, after the it. crash of Loic. Maybe we should calculate it again, but um, it was already the case huh. before going into snowshoe. Interesting. And now it's even more. Yeah. Interesting. Well, here's hoping that, yeah, a year from now we'll be back talking about how next year was now the best season we've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, I, I actually think there is really good reasons why that might be the case. So, uh, yes, it's, yeah. a, it's a good time in the sport, it seems. Um, I mean, again, I defer to you. You've seen a lot and you've been around, but. Well, you know, it was huge in the 90s, um, but that was kind of bubble. Mm -hmm. And then when that one exploded, everything had to start from, not from scratch, but from a solid base. Well, and, and since then, since the early 2000s, it has been growing steadily, but healthy. It's not on a bubble anymore. Yeah. It's now an established sport and that can keep on growing. It's not just a big hype and wow, a new sport and let's just throw a lot of sponsor money on it. Yeah. It's now really what it is. And obviously Red Bull has added a lot to that with yeah. all the, the broadcasting they do. And um, yes, I'm, I'm really, really happy to be part of this and having been part of it for such a long time and, <laughs> and uh, keep going with it. Here's to you keep going with it. And uh, yeah, this has been a fun one and a nice job recapping uh, this year and putting it in some context for us. So uh, well done, sir. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Claudio for the conversation. And Claudio, it has been great having you here in CB. Lots of good talks, lots of scheming about future plans, and we got some great riding in too. I also want to thank Luke Alley for producing this episode, and I want to thank you for listening. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe for free to Bikes and Big Ideas wherever you get your podcasts. And turns out you can also tell your friends to check out Bikes and Big Ideas, and doing that is also free, and we would appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.